0: Chapter Fourteen, The Flying Fever. Mister Comberford said frankly to Stephen and Orissa, "Don't expect too much of Sybil, or you'll be disappointed. She's peculiar, and the things that interest her are often those the world cares nothing for. Anything odd or unusual is sure to strike her fancy. That's why she's so enraptured with your aircraft." The word rapture" did not seem to Steve to describe Sibyl's attitude at all, but Orissa, watching the girl's face, decided it was especially appropriate. They left her standing before the machine and went on with their work, while Mr. Cumberford ignored his daughter and smoked cigarettes while he watched, as usual, every movement of the young mechanic. "'Saw Burton this morning,' he remarked presently. "'Did he say anything?' asked Steve. No, just smiled. That shows he's up to something. Wonder what it is. Steve shook his head. I don't see how that man can possibly injure me, he said musingly. I've gone straight ahead in an honest fashion and minded my own business. As for the machine, well, that's honest too, and all my improvements are patented. They're what? Patented, sir, registered in the patent office in Washington. Oh-ho. Steve looked at him surprised "What sir?" "You're an irresponsible idiot, Stephen Kane. Because I patented my inventions?" "Yes sir, for placing full descriptions and drawings of them before the public until you startled the aviation world and are ready to advertise what you've done." Steve stared a perception of Cumberford's meaning gradually coming to him. "As for that," he said a little uneasily. No one ever takes the trouble to read up new patents. There are so many of them, and after all, it's a protection. Is it? I can put another brace in that new elevator of yours and get a patent on it as an improvement. The brace won't help any, but it will give me the right to use it. I'm not positive I couldn't prevent you from using yours if I got mine publicly exhibited first and on the market first. Steve was bewildered and Orissa looked very grave. But Mr. Cumberford lit another cigarette and added, Nevertheless, I wouldn't worry. As you say, the patent office is a rubbish heap, which few people ever care to examine. Is everything covered by a patent? Everything with a new automatic balance? I haven't had time to send that on. Don't, then. The old one is patented, but it proved a failure and nearly killed me. The one I'm now completing is entirely different. Good. Don't patent it until after the aviation meet. It's your strongest point. Keep that one a surprise at least, up your sleeve. As Steve was considering this advice, Sybil Cumberford came softly to her father's side and said, Daddy, I want to fly. To flee or to flew? He asked banteringly, at the same time looking at her intently. To fly in the air, Mister Cumberford sighed. Kane, what will a duplicate of your aircraft cost? I can't say exactly, sir," replied the boy, smiling. "Shall we order one, Sybil?" She stood, staring straight ahead with that impenetrable, mysterious look in her dark eyes, which was so typical of the girl. Cumberford threw away his cigarette and coughed. We'll consider that proposition sometime, Steve. He continued rather hastily. In the meantime, perhaps my daughter could make a trial flight in your machine? Perhaps, said Steve doubtfully. Will it carry two? It should support the weight of two easily, replied the young man. But I will be obliged to rig up a second seat. Do so, please, requested Miss Cumberford in her even-subdued voice. When will it be ready? The aircraft will be complete in about ten days from now, but before I attempt to carry a passenger, I have to give it a thorough personal test, said Steve with decision. You may watch my flights, Miss Cumberford, if you wish, and after I've proved the thing to be correct and safe, I'll do what I can to favor you, if you're not afraid and still want to make the trial. Thank you, she said, and turned away. I'll go myself sometime observed Mr. Cumberford after a pause. Flying interests me. Arissa was much amused. She had not known many girls of her own age, but such as she had met were all commonplace creatures compared with this strange girl, who at present seemed unable to tear herself away from the airship. Sybil did not convey the impression of being ill-bred or forward, however unconventional she might be, yet it seemed to Arissa as she constantly held herself firmly repressed, yet alert and watchful, much like a tiger crouched, ready to spring upon an unsuspecting prey. In spite of this uncanny attribute, Orissa found herself powerfully drawn toward the peculiar girl, and resolved to make an attempt to win her confidence and friendship. With this thought in mind, she joined Sybil, who was again examining the aeroplane with rapt attention. While she stood at her side, The girl asked, without glancing up, Have you ever made a flight? No, replied Orissa. Why not? I haven't had the opportunity. Don't you like it? I imagine I would enjoy a trip through the air, answered Orissa, that is, after I became accustomed to being suspended in such a thin element. You seem to understand your brother's invention perfectly. Oh, I do, in its construction and use. You see, I've been with Steve from the beginning. Also, I examined several other modern airplanes and watched the flights at Dominguez Field. Naturally, I'm enthusiastic over aviation, but I haven't yet considered the idea of personally attempting a flight. To manage a machine in the air requires a quick eye, a clear brain, and a lot of confidence and courage. Is it so dangerous? asked Miss Cumberford quietly. Well, not if you have the qualities I mentioned, and a bit of experience or training to help you in emergencies. I'm sure an aeroplane is as safe as a steam car, and a little safer than an automobile, but a certain amount of skill is required to manage even those. The girl's lips curled scornfully, as if she impugned this statement, but she remained silent for a while before continuing her catechism. Then she added, Do you mean to try flying? Perhaps so, some day, said Arissa, smiling when aeroplanes have become so common that my fears are dissipated, but really, I haven't given the matter a thought. That's Steve's business just now. All I'm trying to do is help him get ready. You believe his device will be practical. It's the best I've ever seen, and I've examined all the famous airplanes. What has my father to do with this invention? Arissa was surprised. Hasn't he told you? she asked. Only that it interests him, but many things do. We needed money to complete the aircraft, and Mr. Cumberford kindly let us have it, explained the girl. What did he demand in return? Nothing but our promise to repay him in case we succeed. Sybil shot a swift glance toward her father. Look out for him, she murmured. He's a dangerous man in business deals. But this isn't business, protested Orissa earnestly. Indeed, his act was wholly irregular from a business standpoint. As a matter of fact, Mr. Cumberford has been very generous and unselfish in his attitude toward us. We like your father, Miss Cumberford, and we trust him. The girl stood silent a moment. Then she slowly turned her face to Orissa with a rare and lovely smile, which quite redeemed its plainness. From that moment on, she lost her reserve. Toward Orissa, at least, and it was evident the praise of her father had fully won her heart. Day by day thereafter, Sybil came with Mr. Cumberford to the hangar, until the important time arrived when Steve was to test the reconstructed aircraft. By Cumberford's advice, the trial was made in the early morning, and in order to be present, both father and daughter accepted the hospitality of the Canes for the previous night. Sybil sharing Orissa's bed, while Steve gave up his room to Mr. Cumberford, and stretched himself out on a bench in the hangar. Mrs. Kane knew that her son was to make an attempt to fly at daybreak, but she was quite undisturbed. The description of the Kane aircraft, which Orissa had minutely given her, seemed to inspire her with full confidence, and if she had thought of danger, she never mentioned it to anyone. The Cumberfords were very nice to Mrs. Kane, while she in return accepted their friendship unreservedly. Orissa knew her mother to be an excellent judge of character, for while her affliction prevented her from reading a face, her ear was trained to catch every inflection of a voice, and by that she judged with rare accuracy. Once she said to her daughter, Mr. Cumberford is a man with a fine nature, who has in some way become embittered, perhaps through unpleasant experiences. He does not know his real self and mistrusts it, for which reason his actions may at times be eccentric or even erratic, but under a good influence he will be found reliable and a safe friend. His daughter, on the contrary, knows her own character perfectly and abhors it. As the circumstances direct, she will become very bad or very good, for she has a strong, imperious nature, and may only be influenced through her affections. I think it is good for her to have you as a friend. This verdict coincided well with Arissa's own observations, and she accepted it as true. Yet Sybil was a constant enigma to her, and seldom could she understand the impulses that dominated the girl. She was mysterious in many ways. She saw everything and every one without looking directly at them. She found hidden meaning in the most simple and innocent phrases. Always she seemed suspecting an underlying motive in each careless action, and Arissa was often uneasy at Sybil's implied suggestion that she was not sincere. The girl could be cold and silent for days together, then suddenly become animated and voluble, a mood that suited her much better than the first. Steve said to his sister, You may always expect the unexpected of Sybil which proved he had been studying this peculiar girl.